Welcome to the Westminster Effects Doxology Podcast, where we explore popular practices, songs, and ideas in the modern church world in the light of sola scriptura and tota scriptura. I'm Cody Fields, the president of Westminster Effects, and you can check us out and buy stuff at westminstereffects.com. Make sure you join the Westminster Effects Doxology Podcast Lounge on Facebook. Make sure you subscribe, share, etc., etc., and you can support the show at anchor.fm, where you can donate money and help us improve, and you get stuff in return uh, when that happens. Um, because of certain things that have now tested negative, <laughs> thankfully, <laughs> uh, we're, we are not in person, uh, but via the interwebs, I am joined as normal by... Currently COVID-free Pastor Bradley Cox from Greer, South Carolina. That is, you need to be exposed to coronavirus more often. That was the improved, best thing you've ever done. It improved my introduction. It improved my introduction. <laughs> COVID-19, bad for the airways, but good for Bradley's intro. Uh, and, uh, and also via the interwebs. Hey, everybody. John Ross here. Augsburgian Christian, Westminster Effects artist, and because of a recent cold snap, sexy boat captain. From, hey! Uh, I've got yeah. on. It is uh, it is time uh, to uh, uh, to embrace uh, my my alter ego. Your, your alter ego in your landlocked state. Yeah, my my alter ego is is pretty much just just me, except I call myself a sexy boat captain. So for new listeners, that's what that is. You know, in uh, in Nebraska, there is actually a I think it's an honorary society called the Great Navy of the State of Nebraska. That's awesome. That that's just <laughs> so, so great, do you, yeah. There it is. Um, do you put do you put like kayaks on wheels and then attach a sailboat sail to it, or no, and then just like surf the cornfields? Uh, sailboating is pretty uh, uh, popular out here. We, we've actually got a a lot of uh, of lakes. Yeah. Now I got to look this up on Google Maps. Yeah, um, out west is uh, a Lake uh, McConaughey, which is uh, which is pretty big. And then, uh, I mean, even on the small bodies of water, sailboating is just big. Let's see, facts about the Great Navy of the state of Nebraska it was commissioned <laughs> in thirty-one. Um, ah, this is funny. Commissioned in 1931 by Lieutenant Governor T.W. Metcalf so he could hand down gag government appointments, Navy admiral ships to his friends, while Governor Charles Bryan was on vacation. <laughs> I don't even know what to make of that. Uh, don't know what to make of it. The ranks of the Sea Force <clears throat> more than Sea Force, more than 100,000 personnel, including U.S. presidents, grandparents, queens, military generals, actors, comedians, talk show hosts, writers, athletes, volunteers, even animals. All members have achieved the rank of admiral. Ranks of captain, commander, ensign, or seaman do not exist in Nebraska's Navy. Everyone's an admiral. That's just perfect. <laughs> that is perfect. Everyone's an admiral. And actually, there's... Uh, um, 
um, if anyone wants to uh, wants to Google it, there's a, a cool like, I mean, this sweet thing, uh, this like certificate plaque doohickey, and it's you know it. Let's see. Yeah, the great Navy of the state of Nebraska, to all who shall see these, uh, these presents, greetings. Know ye that reposing special trust and confidence in the patriotic valor, fidelity, and abilities of person, blah, blah, blah. Um, you know, he is therefore called to diligently discharge the duties of admiral by doing and performing all manner of things thereto belonging. And I do strictly charge the yeah that require all officers, seamen, tadpoles, and goldfish under his command to be obedient to his orders as admiral. <laughs> I've never actually read that. But it says, yeah, given under my hand in the city of Lincoln, state of Nebraska, on this day in the year of our Lord, so on and so forth. That is glorious. That is pretty sweet. Oh man, you, you always you always learn something here on the Westminster <laughs> Effects Doxology podcast, including the fact that Nebraska has a navy and everyone is an admiral. But someone that should be the whole episode right there. Just yeah, right. Let's right just there. let's just call it here for this. <laughs> like, who who can who can, someone needs to make me an admiral and really cement my sexy boat captain thing? Um, Does it cost money? I don't think so. I just think like somebody has to. Oh my gosh, that's hilarious. I just noticed the art on the bottom of the certificate. Remember in Oregon Trail when you came up to a water crossing and you had the option to ford the river, hire a ferry, or caulk the boat and, or caulk the wagon and float it across? The logo is literally a Conestoga wagon. Like, it... It looks like it's riding a either riding a, a wave in a river or like in a cornfield or something. I don't know. It's kind of a low res picture, but that's pretty sweet. Anyways, if anyone out there knows how to get me an admiralship in the state of Nebraska, um, it is it is worth at the very least a shout out here on on the show. This is going to be such a hard shift of gears. That's <laughs> <laughs> okay. Eddie, you're the ma- you're the master at segways. All right. No, I'll, I'll everybody, take care. everybody, brace yourself because here it comes. No, Cody's we're just, about I'll Cody's about to segue. I'll just drop a. I'll just drop the transition music uh, right about here. Okay, so. <laughs> <laughs> Bradley, we had a uh, a conversation last week. Um, I'm just gonna let you take it away. Like, I don't think I could tee it up any better than just, "Hey, do your thing," and and start the conversation because it was it was a really interesting conversation. And I think uh, all of us on on the podcast have had similar thoughts uh, and maybe even similar verbiage. Uh, but, mm-hmm. but it's, it's really worth talking about, uh, at least in depth and yeah. uh, take it away. Yeah. So just a little context. I mean, I've had these thoughts, like, like you said, I've, I've had these thoughts before. Um, I guess I just had a moment, uh, a little over a week ago where, uh, emotionally, um, I kind of sat and meditated on those thoughts, I guess. Um, yeah, I was I was actually at the beach um, a little over a week ago at a beach house with my family, and 
um, it was Sunday. I wasn't at church. I, we had taken the weekend off and, um, it, my dad had, uh, w- just worship music playing on YouTube. Uh, we were, we were all just kind of doing our thing at the house and it was just kind of scrolling through and it was a lot of Hillsong, a lot of Bethel, some Jesus culture, uh, maybe an elevation thrown in here or there, but it just was scrolling one song after the other. And I, I sat there and watched it for probably about, I don't know, I probably watched three or four songs in a row. And I just found myself getting more and more disturbed by it, uh, which was odd. You know, normally when worship music comes on, you feel you feel a sense of, I want to worship. I want to, I, you know, you start to feel your delight in God uh, rise, and you you want to you want to sing, you want to you want to meditate on the greatness of God and the goodness of God. But I found myself getting disturbed, and I was I I, don't, I can't say that I I formulated a prayer in my head, but I think it was a prayerful train of thought, if that makes sense. Of Lord, why am I so disturbed by this? And I mean, this is worship music. Why am I disturbed? And and what I started to notice after that thought was the the common factors um, of what was being presented, and those were a very attractive woman up front, almost in every song. Um, nothing against attractive women, but that was just what was there. We are uh, for them. <laughs> we are for attractive women. Um, a, a band full of rock star looking musicians. Um, of course, a lot of lights and production elements and stuff. None of that, none of which is evil and wicked in and of itself. And then there's a, every song seems to build to this climactic moment where said attractive woman, who's the front person, uh, is really not singing any kind of lyric or um, some sort of refrain in the song. It's it's a it's a wail. It's a it's a it's a it's a fever pitch, um, and I mean that like literally. It's a pitch that she hits near the top of her range that just goes on and on and on and on. And it's there, there's nothing being communicated other than a, a everything built to this whale. And now the lyrics in a lot of those songs and the verses and pre-choruses leading up to that, some of, a lot of it was good, but it just like, all of a sudden I started to see how sexual this was. It seems. And again, I'm open to being criticized here. I mean, I'm just telling you what I, what I felt. It seemed sexualized. It seemed like it was driven more by, you know, pop culture and what attracts and what sells rather than the glory of God. And I just found myself, you know, maybe for the first time in quite a while feeling really disturbed by what seemed to be the common ingredients of modern worship music. I found myself disturbed by that. Um, Not to say that I'm not, I am not saying that any of the people who I saw in those videos are bad, evil, wicked people. I'm not saying that those were bad, evil, wicked songs. I'm not saying that anybody that I, any ministry or worship team that I saw on YouTube is trying to be sexual uh, or trying to be, you know, market driven and money focused and all that kind of stuff. 
but it just felt that way. And it just, it sort of led me to question, and maybe I sound a little bit old school. It led me to question whether or not we've thought through uh, or whether or not we've scrutinized enough some of these kinds of trappings. Uh, because again, I'm not saying we shouldn't have attractive women on our worship team. Uh, right. I'm not saying that those attractive women can't hit high notes. I'm just saying there's something about the way that was coming across that disturbed me. And um, I found myself wanting to run from that. Like, I don't want that. Uh, that's not, that's not leading me to worship. And, and, and so I don't have a whole lot of answers and solutions and I, and I don't want to, I don't want to over leverage um, things that could be maybe unfounded criticism, but it just seemed stark to me. And so I'm curious what you guys think about that. Well, that went quiet real quick. Real fat. <laughs> no, um, awkward silence. Uh, sorry, I was uh, I was actually scrubbing some songs on on YouTube real quick, and uh, I mean, it seems like Hillsong is is a pretty 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 gnarly offender of of what you describe. The first one I pulled up was was Oceans, uh, the live version. Uh, what was that the one from? Yeah, that's the one from Live in Israel. Uh, and yeah, it, it definitely is there in the bridge. And even uh, What a Beautiful Name, uh, that one takes more at the end. You know, it's it's hard to, to sort out the intentions here. Um, part of me wonders if, I mean, if you listen to the CCM conspiracy theorists, I mean, it's they point to so many of these uh, these large recording churches, um, or rather their musical ensembles, being essentially signed to one of the big the big three labels. And you know, it makes me wonder that what if there is a producer or music director who has had great success in the secular world with pop music mm -hmm. or what have you. And, you know, they lay out the formula and say, Hey, you know, you've, you've got your, your intro, you've got your verse, you've got verse two, you got chorus, you got verse three, you got chorus, you got bridge, you got sexy yell, you've got chorus, 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 bridge, 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 chorus done. And maybe that's just the formula that, they've that they've done it you know i i don't i don't want to go personally i don't, I don't want to go direct to the um the they're using the sex cells mindset right i don't either it, and i know that um and so i'm wondering you know because if you look at the appearance of the rest of the band i mean it, it it's it is very much and even the production quality and all that I mean, it's very much uh similar to mainstream music in, in some ways uh far beyond uh what mainstream music can do i mean there's no there's no secret that the ccm machine as it were um is is a cash cow 
uh, internally, uh, at least. And it may be that that's the appearance they're looking, they're they're going for, not only physically, but then um, stylistically as well. You know, they take these keys from from popular pop singers and uh, or these cues rather, and uh, like, well, they do that, so I'm going to do that. I mean, um, not to not to drag Lauren Daigle through anything. It, I'm not a fan for the most part, but um, you know, her, her voice is very similar to Adele. And so a lot of the styles of at least, especially her early work is very similar to some Adele stuff. And I have no doubt that that's the work of a music producer somewhere. Um, but, you know, aside from the why there is also the piece that regardless of whether their intentions were to be, uh, uh, sexualized or uh, uh, there's a there's a word I'm looking for that I can't place, but uh, along those lines at least, um, even if that wasn't their intention. That still seems to be how it is translating in some cases. Um, yeah, I don't really know where to take that, but those those are my initial. Uh, Initial thoughts. I, I hadn't thought about this topic really before uh, we started talking today. Let, let me add one little one little caveat to this, too, um, for additional thought. You know, we we're, Res Churches um, has hired a a new worship pastor. He's actually getting started officially this week. His name's Stephen. Um, and Stephen and I have had lots and lots of conversations about worship over the last several months. And I remember not that long ago, we talked about worship songs that include a non-lyrical O in them. You guys know what I'm talking about? Where there's there's a, a congregational part that is just O or ah. It's, it's, mm-hmm. it's not lyrical, right? And we, we were kind of weighing that and i said you know i think there are some songs where i really appreciate that part you know for paul to say in romans that the spirit intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words i think i don't think it's a stretch to root that some songs could include a congregational o or Mm -hmm. ah that isn't it isn't lyrical but it's flowing from an expression of emotion that's rooted in the biblical truth that we're really stewing on in that particular song, if that makes sense. It's flowing from that. Uh, for example, if the song is really focused on the, um, the sovereignty of God, let's say. Let's say it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a deep song that's just, man, we are singing and relishing and savoring the sovereignty of God. And dynamically, that song builds to a congregational O or ah that is really just flowing from our awe of the sovereignty of God. And it's an expression of emotion. I think that's appropriate in worship. Yeah. So my point, my point is, I don't have a problem with, you know, there being something that is like a non-lyrical climax in the song, if that's a great, 
that's a good way to, to it, describe it. Um, the problem that I, or the, what disturbed me about what I was watching the other week, um, was that it seemed like over and over again, the, the non-lyrical climax of the song was not focused on congregational expression as much as it was the, the female lead, uh, getting to show off her vocal, you know, um, chops, um, and and the and the emo- that's I guess that's what disturbed me is that it just it it seemed to be it, it just seemed to be anything but um, uh, you know a a collective focus on the church singing to about God or to God or, or say it just was focused on that 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 image that production that product that and I, and again I, I agree with John we can't we shouldn't judge motives and intentions. I, I guess I just, I, I felt disturbed and I, and I'm still processing you why know, I was disturbed. Where I think some of this may come from is, especially as, as individuals who, uh, who, who love the church and, and value the, uh, the, the sanctity of its music, so to speak. It's mm-hmm. difficult for us to hear a set of lyrics that seem to be magnifying to the gospel or glorifying to God, or they seem to be worshipful, worshipful lyrics. That's what I'm getting at. It's difficult for us to hear those and not immediately associate them with an act of worship, whether it be, uh, whether it be uh, a song or whether it be uh, uh, a prayer or or what have you, um, and, and I realize that there will be be many who disagree with this, and I'm not saying that the two are mutually exclusive, but many of these YouTube videos are recorded at concert i mean they're not record like i assume hillsong like hillsong hillsong um has a church has a, i mean i know they have a church building but I, I assume that there is a church service that happens there that has a live band we never see that mm. maybe we do and it just looks exactly like everything else we've seen um but you know, even when I've been to like Christian music festivals, like the lyrics are, are indeed glorifying uh, to God, but the style of it, their presentation is very much concert-esque. And so I think that when we hear these lyrics, we automatically assume that any time that they're used properly, I mean, not in a mocking sense, obviously, but any time that they're, that they're used or, or sung, they must be in a spirit of worship. How could they not be? I, I think that may be an assumption that that we make because of our collective uh, background in the church, our understanding of what worship is. But at the same time, you know, these are our touring musical groups. That I mean, the only thing that that 
doesn't make it a concert is maybe, I mean, what doesn't make it a concert? And I think, I think that's where, where we're seeing this. I'm not, I'm not, I'm still not saying that, that sexualization in the midst of a song, which would otherwise glorify God is appropriate. But what I'm getting at is I don't think that most of what we're seeing is a worship service as much as it is a concert with worship music being played. That's uh, fair. And That's fair. When you do a concert, you're going to have, I mean, everything's going to be choreographed. It, it's very rarely going to be anything spontaneous. It's going to have high production value and it's going to be geared towards entertainment. Um, yep. You also just described a whole lot of churches though. <laughs> You know, yeah. like, like they, they very well, well could and, be at church. And, and what, I, what I was going to say, Cody, it, is that I agree with you, John. I agree with what you're saying. Totally. Mm-hmm. I just question how well we, we as in the church, capital C, are contextualizing it in that way. Because when local churches, like I think what Cody's getting at is when local churches watch that, see that, worship pastors get enamored with that kind of thing, the temptation is just to try to reproduce that on Sunday morning. Um, and instead of focusing on congregational worship, we're, we're trying to reproduce that kind of production, I guess. I don't, I don't know. Is that what you're getting at, Cody? Yeah, a little bit. Um, like, we do have kind of, a, you know, the the big thing right now is, you know, the attractional, make everything look good, you know, put on a production kind of thing. Um, but, but, you know, like a few minutes ago, Bradley, you said, you know, we, we can't judge motive. I think to a certain extent we, we can, uh, since, since we know the theology driving a lot of what's going on, like this word of faith, new apostolic reformation, uh, where where their doctrine of worship is wonky, um, where you know the mm. Protestant the Protestant uh, doctrine of worship is we are already seated with Jesus in heavenly places, and so the Lord's day worship is just us getting together spiritually in that heavenly place, and of course God shows up because He's already there and He indwells us mm. already by His Spirit, uh, whereas. Mm. Whereas, you know, the, the more word of faith and NAR uh, uh, mindset is we have to beg God to show up. And then what you end up with is, and this, this will be a little bit of a spicy take, but it looks closer to the prophets of Baal that Elijah Trash talked. Uh, <laughs> you know, where they're just going on all day like, hey, Baal, why aren't you showing up? Why aren't you showing up? Why aren't you showing up? Why, hey, by the way, we're, we're cutting ourselves now. <laughs> and then Elijah's like, hey, maybe he's taking a dump, <laughs> right? And, uh, and Baal never shows up because... Really? Because, uh, yeah, right? And, uh, but Yahweh does. And all, all Elijah had to do was like, hey, God, can you show off a little bit? And that was it. Mm. And, and then he killed all those prophets. But I'm not. I'm not saying that we should go kill all the people at Jesus Culture. I'm not. Don't, don't, hey, don't don't you principalize a narrative there, Old Testament <laughs> narrative? <laughs> <laughs> not prescriptive. 
I'll start calling you, you Furtick Jr. Bible's not about you, Code. <laughs> Anyways. <laughs> if if anybody takes my words and turns that into, hey, I should go murder XYZ worship leader, that's on you. I, this yeah. might be the last Westminster podcast episode after the, the, the criticism we're going to get from this, this. This is our cancel episode. <laughs> yeah. we're, we're peace out. We're mic dropping and gone. What we're doing. If, if people stick with us after this, we know they're committed. I don't know. Um... <laughs> Cody Koresh, everybody. Anyway, <laughs> no, you, men, you mentioned, or, or you know, you describe their their views on worship, and that you have to like really, you've got to bring them down. You've got to say, "You're welcome here. You're welcome here. Come on in. Come." On. I mean, he's already here, but if they're under, if if that's their understanding, that that it is very much self-driven that it's very much performance oriented in the sense of what they do the leap then the logical leap from taking what would be a worship service so to speak preaching teaching songs whatever the the cognitive leap from that to concert is minimal and so i think you may be on yeah. a on the right track there um and yeah, so so that that it reminds me of of Romans ten, uh, for starting in verse five. For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them, and ultimately their call to worship is 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 really law based, like it really is. Uh, but the righteousness based on faith says, "Don't say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss." that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. This is so much simpler than, Spirit, come on. Spirit, please. Spirit, you're welcome. Please, please, please. You know, like, there's such a, there's such a huge difference in those mindsets. Sure, I mean, the Pentecost one of those leads to confidence. Sure. I mean, the Pentecostal tradition really, really does uh, have that that vibe of leveling up, so to speak. You know, if anyone plays like role playing games, like once you get a certain amount, you know, it's <laughs> flash on screen plus fifty four, you know, HP, XP, AP, CP, TP, whatever, and uh, you're like you've leveled up, um, and now you're suddenly a, a better, I don't know, survivor of the wasteland, or I don't know orc and warcraft pick your game but um level 16 mage i don't know uh but there is that sort of vibe to the the pentecostal tradition where um oh sure honey you're saved but are you saved saved you know are you mm -hmm. like yeah yeah um, there's that that baptism. Uh, sure, you've been baptized with water, but have you been baptized with the Holy Spirit? 
you know it's like the it's it's that next it's the admiral level you know you got to achieve you, admiral level as it were and which is you know which would lead to a very performance driven thing so yeah i mean i these all could be on on the right track especially you know going from an understanding of the theology where many of these uh musicians align i mean we also have to take the fact that many of these musicians are just that i mean they are musicians that perhaps have a heart for the lord uh, whether or not with a, a good understanding i'm not sure uh but if they're brought into an organization like Hillsong or, or whatever uh, that has no issue with with worship music being presented all the time ish in a performance oriented vibe, mm-hmm. then they're be like, "Oh, I've sang shows for years. I can do this." Yeah, I don't know. There, there's a lot of there's a lot of different things, but I think it all really boils down to uh, the question of what is appropriate in a worship service. Like, and and this isn't to say that this it couldn't be a worship service that these videos couldn't have taken place in a worship service, but it's like in general, what is uh, what is appropriate? And I think the answer for that really stems from what our understanding of of worship is. And yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, it, and and I think I think um, sometimes good songs get um, tainted by all of that. I mean, I sure. probably some of my my distaste, um, you know, for what I was watching is rooted in my upbringing in the Pentecostal movement. You know, because I, you know, the kinds of things that led me to want to leave that movement and distance myself from it. Um, it, it really was what you're talking about, John. I mean, I remember I was a worship leader at a Pentecostal church in 2001, uh, somewhere around in there. And um, the pastor of that church told me, he said, look, there's a window in every service where, you know, the, the spirit's really moving. We've sung and, and, and things are moving and going. I can't remember his exact words, but he said, there's a window. When we see and sense that window, we need to, we need to press there. We need to we need to hit the gas. We need to keep singing and keep pushing and keep what as, as you know. And it really, you know, Cody. I think your comparison to what the prophets of Baal were doing is really pretty pretty accurate um, because that's the kind of stuff that I felt like I needed to get away from and and led me away from the movement. So I don't know. That's probably some of my emotion in watching those videos is that. I, I just don't, I don't want, I don't want that. I, you know, I don't want, I don't want even a sense of that. We've got to sing till the glory comes down. Yeah. Um, and I, and, and I certainly don't want there to be, you know, sometimes the ingredients are what makes things that the ingredients combined, you know, all the individual ingredients might be good. You know, let's just take a person example, like Carrie Job. Carrie Job is, a, an incredible singer and don't like her association with Bethel, obviously, and um, other things, but maybe she really loves Jesus. Maybe her, her theology's tweaked here and there, but maybe she's really a lover of Jesus and a worshiper of Jesus. I don't know. Um, 
but let's just let's just give her the benefit of the doubt and say she is and that maybe this morning she spent ample time in the word and personal worship and um and 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 is really committed to leading people in worship and and certainly has gifts and talents to do that but you take her and you put her in that mix of ingredients and i wonder if it really does lead people to the kind of biblically rooted worship experience that that they should have um and i wonder if 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 churches don't feel the need to to reproduce that um i guess i guess that's that's part of what made me feel so disturbed in watching that um is the mix of ingredients i mean there there is a there is a an, an issue where we confuse uh, our emotional responses to be uh, to be an action of of the spirit, right? Um, like what you were talking about in the way the song flows, and like when things really get going. I mean, that's that's our emotions. That's our emotions when the song gets going. It's not like the Holy Spirit's moving more. I mean, that's right. God and His work among us is 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 good and it's constant and it's way more deserved. But it's not because we really nailed that bridge that it got better. It it fired up the congregation because music elicits an emotional response, and that can be used for wonderful things. Uh, but it can also be used uh, in conjunction with a kind of a lousy understanding of of how God works. Uh, to perpetuate this uh, uh, this this feeling that that we're talking about, and and so yeah, I, I think maybe that is uh, where we really need to be careful because because it goes it goes beyond that. Faith is not a feeling uh, catchphrase. It it's and worship and worship is emotional, but it's not emotionalism. Yes. Yeah. I think, I think that that that's it's something we have to keep in mind because Cody, you mentioned Coldplay song "Fix You" the other day when we were talking about this, and and a chill bump that you can get from that song when it builds. I think you mm-hmm. said that, didn't you? I, I remember Maybe. The, when my son was born. When my you know you, I know you don't like Coldplay, but when my son was born fourteen years ago, almost fifteen years ago. And I left the hospital to go get some stuff we needed from home and come back. And on the way back, I think I had, you know, music playing from my phone. On the way back to the hospital, Coldplay's song Fix You came on. Uh, you know, when you try your best and you don't succeed, you know, uh, when you get what you want but not what you need. And, and he's he just going, I'll try to fix you. And I was thinking about this newborn baby at the hospital that belonged to me and i was a basket case emotion <laughs> yeah driving back to plus i'd had no sleep so that that kind of emotion could be in the context of a church service interpreted as a quote-unquote move of the spirit uh the spirit has shown up now because we we feel so emotional and i would say no don't don't interpret emotion as the spirit but don't expect to experience the work of the Spirit and it not be emotional ever. And I think we have right. to be careful to get that cart and horse right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Let's uh, leave it there and move on to the Inquisition, shall we? Let's do it.
And this is the Inquisition, where you, the listener, have a chance to submit questions for us podcast hosts uh, via a weekly post in the Westminster Effects Doxology Podcast Lounge on Facebook. And as is tradition, we start with Brian Morris. Uh, we talked uh, several episodes about uh, pastoral qualifications. And Brian has a follow-up question about a pastor's wife who comes out as an atheist. Does that disqualify the pastor? Mm. Wow. I mean, that's, uh, that's tough, isn't it? I John say, nodded for everybody who can't see him since this is an audio format. <laughs> yeah. I, I would say perhaps, but I think that requires um, a lot of, a lot of prayer, a lot of conversation. I mean, I, you know, I don't think that it should, if, if a pastor has children and his children grow up and come of age their early adult years, uh, even late teenage years, and those children are wayward. You know, even though Paul talks about, um, you know, a, a pastor elder needs has to you know manage his own household well. I don't think that that you know older you know adult age children going wayward is an automatic disqualification, right? Um, because. You know that 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 pastor, parent, father, and his wife may have discipled those children really well, but they they may not have experienced yet the grace of God calling them out of darkness and into light, and into light. Um, so you can't you can't hold that pastor responsible and, and disqualify him on that basis. At the same time, you know um, it's possible that. A pastor's married to somebody, and his his wife, um, I don't know, has some sort of crisis or whatever that you know leads her to renounce her faith, and you know who knows what all the circumstances could be involved in that. I, I wouldn't, yeah. I wouldn't call it an automatic disqualification. Like if the pastor had an affair, that's an automatic. You got to sit down and and um, step down and go through a process of healing. Um, I wouldn't necessarily say that's the case with that. Yeah, that it's such a complicated thing, right? Like we, we don't know theoretically what's gone on in the wife's mind, or even if she's informed her husband of the thoughts that she's been having, right? Like there, right. there's, there's a ton that, you know, would have to be sorted through and maybe yes, maybe no, you know? I think that really is a case by case kind of thing. Um, it may be a, it may be a different circumstance if said individual were a like a a belligerent atheist. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> right, um, right. But I, I think that's an opportunity for uh, for continued discipleship and not necessarily a uh, an automatic disqualification for ministry. Yeah. Yep. Uh, let's lighten it up a little bit. Vaughn Scott, uh, asks a question that's really good for Bradley. If tomatoes are a fruit, is ketchup considered a smoothie? <laughs> uh, sure. 
<laughs> there it is. Yeah, there's your answer, folks. Ketchup is a smoothie. A smoothie in which I dip my French fries. Hey, yep. we'll dip French fries in uh, into Wendy's Frosties. So, right? That's great. True. That's absolutely right. Hmm. I mean, that's I, a I that's some. But it is a thing. That's forty chess right there, John. You just took us to another level. <laughs> uh, next question. Ryan Eigel asks a pretty interesting question. Is there a Christian band or artist that you really like, but disagree with them on most or all of their theological positions? Mm. So I think, I think, I think one that's worth considering, uh, is for today, um, where, yeah, they have a couple of really good albums. Uh, they're not around anymore, and uh, and all all respect in the world to um, I'm going to butcher his name, Maddie Montgomery. Is that it? Let me make sure. Okay, yes, um, that guy is awesome, but they're pretty Pentecostal in their theology. Um, as far as I'm aware, they're perfectly orthodox. It's just going to disagree with the Pentecostalism, but they put out a couple pretty good and pretty heavy albums. So that's my answer. That's a good one. That's a good one. Um, you know, I, I tell you this, uh, I'm going to, I guess, emphasize my age or highlight my age a little bit, but <laughs> I used to, I used to love, Fred Hammond. You ever listen to Fred Hammond? Yeah. Nope. Yeah, I didn't figure. Oh, uh, I mean, I I've told y'all before. I love black gospel. I love it. I mean, mm -hmm. and and but a lot of it comes out of churches that. Uh, I say a lot of it. There's 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 a there's a a sizable po portion of black gospel that comes out of. Uh, churches that don't have good theology, ergo T.D. Jakes and, and the like. And that's, I think, Fred Hammond bases out of T.D. Jakes' church. Um, mm. But his albums that were coming out in the late 90s, early 2000s, I just, musically, um, mm -hmm. and, 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 and in, in a lot of ways, lyrically, just loved, loved. You got anything, John? Yeah, uh, for me, uh, it'd be Kevin Max, uh, one of the previous three members. Oh yeah, um, the uh, the singer, as it were, his uh, his first like solo single was "Return of the Singer" uh, after the DC Talk uh, split. Um, I'm not super familiar with the uh, the the fine details and minutia of of where his his beliefs and convictions have taken him but um he's he's been very influenced by uh, by some new age things it seems and mm -hmm. uh, I, I it would be a bit much to say that that uh i wholesale disagree with his theolo theology but it's more of it's hard to dis for me to discern his theology, and 
because it, it's kind of it's wonky to use a word uh, that we've that we've said before. Um, but I love his stuff. I mean, he's got a, uh, he's a mix of like southern rock and uh, and and gospel, kind of all just fused together. And his voice is just so stinking unique. Um, but you know, he he is the one that has not had a a solid CCM gig uh, since the breakup. You know, he's done a solo thing. He sang for Audio Adrenaline for a while. Um, Michael Tate brings him in to. Um, when they cover like some DC talk songs on the newsboys tour. Um, it's interesting too. Cause I think he had the best voice of all of them. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I mean, he was kind of, he, kind of a creep if you looked at some of his earlier pictures, but he kind of had like a Cobain thing going on. Um, <laughs> still, not still, but like if Cobain would have, uh, would have straightened his hair, uh, that would have, that yeah, that's true. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, I love his stuff, and it's just uh, it's unfortunate that he does that he doesn't appear uh, to either have or have given a a solid, concise uh, confession of faith. That uh, I love his vocal on Jesus Freak. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, his vocal descants were were perfect, and uh, you know to go back to the topic, you know the, that's a that's a situation where those are fine is like when it's not music that's necessarily done in a worship context, when it's just music with a Christian theme, those vocal descants can be just fine. And as an instrument in and of themselves, and they can be fine within a worship context as well. It's just, it's, it's all about how you approach things and your mindset behind it. But uh, yeah, he, he really did a good job adding those kind of those, those vocal chops. Uh, yeah out their their catalog What's, i got it playing in my i got it playing in my head right now <laughs> you know, that, <laughs> you can probably still do the rap from memory but uh let's not uh <laughs> <laughs> i wouldn't want to alienate cody <laughs> one more one more question uh from hunter chapin uh he delves into the political but not surrounding the election thank goodness because i wasn't going to touch that this week anyway he asks, what would be a logical step in the direction of the church taking over the ministry of assisting the poor slash homeless slash widowed if the government were to give it over to us? And I'll add in parentheses, as it should. <laughs> that I believe that's the realm of the church. It's not the realm of the state. And, um, you know, obviously we have to play the hand we are dealt. Um, but, you know, I think I think if the government welfare state ended, uh, obviously we would want to see that ended gradually. You don't want to just cut people off that when they're depending on things, that would be kind of heartless. Um, but you know, if, if the government isn't dropping that much money on welfare programs, then that means that we end up with more money in our pockets because they don't have to take as much money, which then means, uh, we have more money to give away. And, and used to be generous. And it's, and it's proven that when taxes are lower, uh, churches benefit from greater donations. So uh, there would at least be more resources, right? Yeah, I mean, uh, at, at the least. You know, I wonder when and where it became the domain of the state. About 100 years ago. 
roughly. Uh, you look at, um, sorry to, to get on a little nerdy kick, but I think particularly with uh, Woodrow Wilson uh, coming out of, was it Yale or Princeton? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and and coming out of that school of thought of of the the political sphere needs to be effectively dictated by specialists. And us plebes don't really know what's good for us in the first place. So they just need to tell us what we need and we need to deal with it. Uh, and you, yeah. and yeah, and you really see that explode with FDR and the new deal. You really, really see it explode even more with, uh, with Lyndon Johnson and, mm-hmm. uh, and the war on poverty. And, yep. and it's, and it's just kept growing since then. And, and there is a crowding out effect to use the economics term. The, the reason why I asked was, you know, I wonder what portion, if any, was because the, the church kind of stopped owning that role. Uh, I, I don't have any, any data to back that up. That's legitimately a question. Is, mm-hmm. is But, you know, I, I think what I would add to this is that, you know, I agree that I think the church, I would say it this way, the church alongside The, the the local church alongside other ministries and organizations yep. Yep. that are a part of the church capital C yep. um, as well as secular organizations and uh, nonprofits that um, would be used by the sovereign hand of God to meet the needs of the poor I think because I don't think the prime I don't think the primary purpose of a local church, a local body, it's not the primary purpose of that local body to meet the needs of the poor. It's a secondary purpose. Yep. And I think scripturally we have to we have to deal with that because um, some some churches have made have put at the forefront of their their vision and their philosophy uh, charitable acts and deeds. And I, I just have a problem with that because I don't, I don't think that a, that charitable acts do not, while they might be a catalyst toward evangelism, they are not evangelism in and of themselves. Um, and they are, it's not the primary purpose of the church gathered. The primary purpose of the church gathered is to worship and glorify God and make disciples. And so I think the needs of the poor fall under that and should be a part of the local church. And so the, the truth is, you know, poverty, poverty is probably too big of a burden for only the local church to bear in our society. It would have to be in partnership with, like I said, other ministries and organizations that could do that. But I do agree that the state taking that over is what is, could potentially keep us on a track towards more socialism, um, more right. and more socialism. Yeah. And I think one, one thing that people have to keep in mind is, is the advent of free markets and, and capitalism is, is what drives down poverty consistently. Um, mm-hmm. if, if, Thomas Sowell really harps on this, but you know, in, in the black population, you actually had declining uh, poverty and crime rates until LBJ's program started in the sixties. And then they started Isn't that going interesting? back up. Isn't that so yeah. stinking interesting? Yeah. It's maybe we had the wrong solution. Just maybe. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
So it, I think a logical step would be just market research for lack of a better term. Just research your area and see what areas are the hardest hit and what people need, you know? Yeah. That's a good first good. step, I think. So good episode, fellers. Yeah, John has to go. We all got to go. I got to eat. I'm, I'm starving. Uh, so thanks for listening. Make sure you subscribe. Goodbye. Okay,